Well, hello and welcome to What's Brewing CISFA. What's Brewing CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community College's Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CISFA past president. Dana, my co-host, has ran away again, so it's another solo show, me alone with you. So let's get this show started. And again, welcome to another episode of What's Brewing, Sisva. Let's get this show started with our first cups. And this time it really is a first cup of something, even though it's late in the day because it's hard to get a recording done in the morning in between uh, Zoom meetings and things like that and staff in the office. So I've saved this to the end of the day. But it is amazingly my first cup of coffee for the day because I needed to get myself through this on a Friday afternoon. So a little K-cup action on the machine. So I don't have an interview for you as we've talked. Uh, It's going to be a couple weeks so I can get some people in here, or I should say on Zoom or however, to do an interview. And Tuesday was our news day. So Friday, I'm not really sure what we're going to do today. We may look at a couple newsy kind of things, but let's guys kind of talk about where we are right now in time. You know, we are September 10th being recorded right here, which means we're coming up on, of course, the 20th anniversary of September 11th. I'm not really going to talk much about that, not because it's a political matter. uh, But again, this show is really about financial aid and all, and I don't want to sully it with my opinions on anything. Not that I really have many opinions on this. It is what it was. Um, obviously we've come out 20 years later, amazingly 20 years later from the event and things are where they are. Um, could things be better? Absolutely. Could things have gone worse? Absolutely. And every day is another day, uh, for us to move on and move on with our lives and our work and talking about work. Where are we? We're End of the second week of our semester here at Mission College. And probably for many colleges across the state and across the U.S., we are probably all close to the start of our fall semester. Some might be a little farther in, but I assume most of us have started already. Because usually it's like the Labor Day. It's kind of the drawing point. I remember when I was an undergrad back in Wisconsin, um, it was. It was a case at Monday, Labor Day. Most of the students moved in on campus. Tuesday was kind of open day. You could other <laughs> the smarter students, the older students, would come a little later to move move in. After all, why rush it? But you know, being a first time freshman, I'm pretty sure I moved in on that Monday. And then classes would start on Wednesday. And off you were to the races. Um, in a case here, we started the week before on a Monday. We usually do start Mondays here in our district. And then we'll run all the way through December, give or take a few holidays here and there. But if on you, you're looking on the sports front, you know, we're in the hunt. This is the time of the year for baseball in particular. 
that things really start to shape up. You see whether or not student uh, teams really have a, a, a chance to make the playoffs. You know, being down here in L.A. with the L.A. Dodgers, who have been trailing the San Francisco Giants, both teams with illustrious pasts, pasts and past wins and past World Series. It's an interesting time uh, to see this kind of uh, cat and mouse thing go on and on with the Dodgers sometimes catching up, sometimes getting a game ahead, and then falling behind and being a few games behind. So baseball is really starting to tighten up. This is where they really start talking about who's going to make wild card positions. So, uh, you know, it's an interesting time. Not only that, last night was the first professional National Football League game between Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it was, I have to say, for a first game of the season, pretty exciting. Um, it wasn't constant scoring. It also wasn't a no low score game or such. It was really back and forth. And uh, you can see how key players and plays really can make a difference in how that outcome is. Not Nothing against the poor uh, kicker from uh, Dallas Cowboys, but even he admitted in an early morning article that had he just hit a few of his extra points or his field goals, Dallas could have come out on top. But that is why they play the game. It's because it says on paper one team's better than the other or we'll beat them by a certain amount of points. Not always true. Things happen as the game progresses. So football season kicking off. We still have uh, soccer going on. We have, I believe, U.S. Open uh, tennis going on. And always there's a some kind of golf PGA and uh, LPGA going on. So uh, there's lots of sports to fill your time, get you out of the house to a place with a TV, not specifically out of the house and outdoors, but somewhere else where there's a big screen TV and they serve Buffalo Wild Wings or whatever they do. But uh, it's an interesting time of year. And yet, you know, this is the time of year we expect all of our 18 to 22 year olds and other non-traditional students to buckle down. Get in class. Hopefully you've done their financial aid and be prepared. But those don't always happen. And amazingly enough, in a matter of just a few weeks, the free application for federal student aid and the California Dream Act application for the next fall semester, you know, 330 days away, 350 days away, that form comes out October 1st. So this was a, I'd have to say, you know, when, when people think about this, it, it's now more common because it's been three years or four years of this. But the FAFSA used to come out January 1st, easy enough, New Year's Day. You can do your FAFSA for the fall in that same year. Obviously, if you're filling out in 2021, you'd be doing it for the fall of 2021. But the feds switched things up. They really wanted students to apply earlier. They also kind of wanted to do a little synchronization with other things. For example, a lot of admissions cycles for four-year universities start during that fall semester of your senior year of high school. But then you're not doing the FAFSA until January. So instead, it's now October 1st. And for those students who have, are applying to mostly private selective schools, 
that ask about the college scholarship service or CSS profile form. That also comes out October 1st. So it's really trying to get students on the ball early while they're in their senior year. But as you know, financial aid professionals out there, it did mess with a couple things. Like, for example, in the olden days, when you did your FAFSA January 1st or shortly thereafter, hopefully, you were using income information for the tax year that had just ended December 31st of the year before. So when you did your FAFSA early, assuming you're like me, you don't do your tax forms until, uh, you know, early April, maybe. You were using estimated information. So that meant your financial aid could be off a bit. You know, you've got the estimated income information from your parents if they've got a W-2. So in that case, maybe you're waiting a few weeks into January just to get the W-2s. So there was that kind of issue and complexity to it all. Maybe you'd have to go back into the FAFSA and update those numbers later. And again, maybe you're not doing it till April. Well, April is a big month for four-year schools, in particular, to send award offers. Because we have this May 1st, I think they call it like decision day, that comes around. And it's in a sense, for those students who are going off to four-year schools on a more traditional timeline, they should make their decision by that point to ensure that they will be admitted into the class. And if they're signing up for housing and everything else, and they have financial aid offers, that that's all accepted and in place. Now, us at the two-year community colleges in California, and probably really mostly across the U.S., we don't have quite the same timeline. We're open enrollment, so you might be getting admitted and enrolled a matter of days before the start of a semester because we're not as strict on all the requirements to get into our school. So this process has been helped quite a bit. Students are doing their FAFSA earlier. Um getting decisions on their financial aid earlier. So come around May 1st, they have a much better time making a decision. But now what was the downfall to that? The biggest thing is now that we're doing FAFSAs come October 1st for the next year, we're now using the income tax year that is complete from the year before. Let me put this, I always think of it as like a three-year cycle here. I'm doing, uh, let's say this October 1st, a matter of weeks away. I'm doing a FAFSA as a high school senior. I'm a high school senior right now. Go team. And I'm doing a FAFSA because I'm going to graduate high school and go off fall of 2022 to Big State University, wherever that is. So I'm doing that FAFSA for fall 22, 2022, in the year of 2021, October 1st, 2021. I'm going to use the tax year of 2020, stepping back another year, because in a sense, at this point in time, most everyone has filed their tax returns. You know, April 15th would have been the normal date of this year to file your 2020 tax return. Now, of course, during this pandemic, we've had extensions and stuff like that. But that's the normal year or the normal day tax returns are due. So it made that a little easier. You didn't really have to do estimated information. Unless you or your parents had filed an extension. And normally then you still have till somewhere around uh, October, I should say, to get that extension in. 
So realistically, you'd still have your tax return in, and you could use real, correct numbers, accurate numbers. But think about it. Now we're using tax return from 2020. While I'm going to high school in my senior year in the fall of 2021, and I'm going to start school and at the big state university in fall of 2022. So there's a big gap there. You know, tax year of 2020 to going to school in 2022, that's a big gap. What if? The what ifs of things. You know, what if big change of parent income? Now, this is certainly uh, pandemic related. We probably have seen quite a bit of this. But what if, you know, big change of income? or assets, or other family information that goes on to FAFSA. What do you do? And so there are processes not built directly into the FAFSA for the student, but processes that schools can employ. And so we have things like what we call special circumstances, or income review, or income reduction reviews, or income appeals, where we could take into account some of that information on Something that's happened to the family that made their financial wherewithal much different than what it was on paper for the tax year that you had to use to do the FAFSA. So there are those processes that colleges have available to them. And really, we try to do as much as we can. Now, it's actually been part of, for those schools, and probably most schools did this, took some of the last of the HERF money, the higher ed emergency relief funds in the last round we're expected to actively engage and reach out to our students to let them know of these options available to them to maybe have their income reviewed because of the time cycle that could make a big difference in aid eligibility but i'm thinking let's dive a little deeper in all this special circumstance stuff but i think i need a little bit of music to move my way into this in our next part. And welcome back for our second cup segment here on the What's Brewing Cisfa show. So I went from a show about nothing. Thank you, Mr. Seinfeld. Uh, to a show about something, financial aid and the times we're in. And I'm sure we've talked about professional judgment probably back in our first 10 or 15 episodes where it was, again, me doing solo shows as we were kicking it off in July of 2020, trying to put this together, put out a podcast that would be interesting for financial aid folks um, and uh, have uh, topics that would you know, you could use in your daily work or in interesting, hopefully, some people to run for office for CISFA. So it's a little of both, really. But yeah, I was just talking about, you know, these income reviews and things like that, you know, because again, we're talking about a FAFSA being filed with information that could be significantly old and out of date compared to when the student actually starts at college. And so colleges have, through the federal law, what's called professional judgment. It allows the college to do certain reviews and certain adjustments so we can look at maybe the next year's tax return information, the next 12-month period, 
compared to the last year that was put on the FAFSA, take into account whatever circumstances occurred back then or were occurring now, I should say, and see with these new numbers, does it affect the student's eligibility for aid? And, of course, we wouldn't do it if it was a case of, well, my dad, he got a big bonus this year, and he got a big pay raise. Well, I don't want to do anything that hurts a student's eligibility for aid. But certainly, if it's something of the opposite effect, a parent, you know, a parent, a parent who lost a job, had hours cut, retired, um, layoff, terminated, company closed. Those type of circumstances obviously aren't reflected on a FAFSA, and there's no button or space to fill in, hey, this is what's happening now. That's where the schools get involved. We'll collect that information, the documentation, and see from that, will it make a difference in eligibility? Now, if a student already is coming from a, a, a lower-income family, it's possible it makes no difference because maybe they're already at their maximum aid eligibility. But what if it does make a difference? Well, then we adjust their aid accordingly. And that could mean higher Pell Grant. It could mean changing of Cal Grant eligibility. It could mean other aid uh, from the institution for those schools that do institutional aid. It could mean, you know, big changes. And we want our students to know that we are there to help them and do what we can for them. There are some things we can't do. You know, there's certain things we can't just disallow. Um, you know, a parent that has, uh, this is a one I always bring up when I do my little financial aid presentations, a parent or a student who's won the lottery. It doesn't have to be hundreds of millions, but let's say they won the lottery and won a million dollars. Well, doesn't mean I can just discount that and take it off because it probably shows up on your tax return somewhere. After all, you've come into some new money. I'm not saying you have to spend it on college, but what says you shouldn't maybe spend some of it on college? And so, yes, it may really throw off your eligibility for aid. That's possible. But again, uh, if I had the opportunity for a lottery win instead of losing work or losing job or uh, having this effect going to school, I'm going to school and I'll find a way to do it. So, there are things schools can do, and we want to let students know we're there to help where we can. The other area, you know, briefly on this professional judgment, which is probably the bigger area that we cover, is what we call um, reviews of dependency status. And the reason for that is, and it's so important, and there are still misnomers about what this means. The FAFSA really kind of has two tracks. For a majority of students coming out of high school, they are considered dependent students for financial aid purposes and need parent information on the FAFSA. And what I mean is income, assets, etc. And thus, that is the information that primarily determines a student's aid eligibility. If your parents are well off, it's very likely that could affect detrimentally your aid eligibility. The other track, independent students. You know, a student who's married, an older student, and some other classifications. So 
This is where we don't really have a whole lot of wiggle room. The Fed set the rules on who's a dependent and who's an independent student. So to be like an independent student, I'll run these down real quick. You know, generally you have to be turning 24 years old or married or going to grad school. There's some other things like if you're active duty military, if you're a veteran of the armed forces, if you are an emancipated minor, uh, that's a specific court process. doesn't mean you left the home as much as you went through the court process. If you're a foster youth or former foster youth, and there's some qualifiers there. If you're an orphan or ward of the court, if you are in a legal guardianship, and then the last broad category that they put into the FAFSA um, is, you know, if you are a homeless, unaccompanied youth. So you're homeless, as homeless can be defined. Unaccompanied in the sense you're not in the, uh, you know, you're not, you're with your parents, you're out on your own, and youth under 24. Other than that, or if you have children of your own that receive more than half their support from you, you're generally a dependent student. This is why, again, a high majority of students coming out of high school don't meet any of those. They're dependent students who need parent information. But there are cases where a student does fall between the cracks. And what do we do? Well, there is certainly stuff that we can do. Um, and this is like the case example I always use. What if you, uh, I tell high school counselors this all the time because I talk to them quite regularly at conferences or presentations like we're doing throughout this fall semester right now. You know, this is what we hear as an example. I have a student who lives with their aunt or uncle who's been taking care of them for years. The student has no idea where their actual parents are or uh, uh, one of the parents passed away and the other parent um, has drug or alcohol problems and is out of the picture and we have no idea where they are. But this aunt or uncle never took care to do the legal paperwork. So there's not a legal guardianship. The student's not homeless. They have a regular stable home. They don't have kids of their own. They're not a veteran, etc. They haven't done emancipated uh, you know, emancipation papers, um, and they're not in the foster care system. What do we do? According to the FAFSA, and while you read through the nitty-gritty, that student's a dependent student. We'd have to find the parent information, but what if it's just impossible? That's where, again, a school can step in. A student can still start the FAFSA, complete most of it, but a school will need to step in. And help that student through the process. And oftentimes that means we need some information and some documentation. We're usually looking for people who outside the family know of the circumstances. High school counselors, therapists, high school uh, mental health workers. Maybe there's police reports involving something that caused all of this rift. And thus that's the kind of documentation we are often, often need so that the school can then decide, hey, we're going to consider this student to be independent for financial aid. And thus, we're not going to worry about needing parent information. So that's another big track. We probably do less of those every year than we do these income reviews and such. But it is something there and available to students. Now, going along with some of the myths that are still out there. It's one of those things that some, uh, this has been going on now for literally for 
nearly 30 years, uh, the myth of, well, what if I'm just self-sufficient as a student? I'm 19 years old. I earn good money, you know, whatever that is. And I support myself. Can I be independent? According to the federal rules, no. And again, unless we have one of these other mitigating circumstances, a financial aid office just can't, based strictly on the finances part, make a student independent. Just like, just because that student, say, in my earlier example of a, uh, a hard case here, a student lived with an aunt or uncle who's helping them, but never adopted them or any of that stuff, we can't, as a college, assign them, in a sense, as the parent for FAFSA purposes. So instead, we make the student independent. You know, again, uh, the parent is a parent, the biological parents of the student, or the adoptive parents of the student. Others who are involved are oftentimes, again, foster parents. Thus, the student's probably independent. Legal guardians, again, uh, as we talked about earlier for the criteria, probably the student's independent. Other family members, even if they're big brothers and sisters in the family who are now taking care of the kid, the high school student, because we can't find the parents. We're realistically still looking at a student that more likely, if they're not independent by federal standards, the college may have to rule in on this. So if you've ever had questions about this, this is this type of stuff we want people to ask their financial aid people at their colleges about the process. Is there a form? What kind of documentation is needed? Do I even start the FAFSA? Of course you do. And the FAFSA can guide you through most of this. And then thereafter, we can do whatever correction is needed. You know, I think I've about talked that topic to death. Why don't we uh, move on with a little bit of music? Get ourselves into the last part of the show here. And we're back for what else but our last sip segment, everyone. That's still a pretty noisy sound effect. I kind of like it still. But, uh, you know, this is normally, again, the part of the show where we do a little bit of I Dare You Twos. I don't know if I have a really good one offhand. You know, other than, you know, if you haven't read a nice book for a while, go out and get one. Find something that maybe is on a topic you'd never think about. And get beyond, what, this is probably my biggest uh, fault in many cases, when it comes to reading, I have plenty of other faults, don't worry. But when it comes to reading, I'd pick up, you know, I buy lots of books, probably too many. I have many of them stacked up at home waiting to be read. But when I start a book, I really have a hard time stopping a book. I don't mean I sit there and read it all the way through. I just mean if I pick up a book and somewhere along the line it's a topic that I'm like, uh, this is really super boring or this is super complicated and I'm not figuring out what they're talking about. I read a lot of nonfiction and I, wa- I read a book about half maybe called How Language Began. I believe that's the name of the book. I'd look it up, but I don't want to mess up my computer here. Uh, but it was a case of something along that line 
I think I actually found it. Yes, it was a book called, uh, as it pulls up here, How Language Began by Daniel Everett. And it was a story about, as it's called, the story of humanity's greatest invention. And it really was an interesting topic. And I wanted to know because when you think about it, how did we ever get to creating any kind of sense of language, let alone I understanding the word language and you understanding the word language thousands, if not tens of thousands of years ago? And it really just interested me quite a bit. But I have to say, Mr. Everett, the writer of this book, wrote a fantastic book, and it is deep and dense. And uh, I could get about halfway through, and it just got really complicated. So what I'm saying is, if you're going to pick up a book, don't be intimidated to the point that you say, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to pick up a book I may not like. Worst case is, hey, you take it down to your local Goodwill or Salvation Army and hand it over for somebody else or trade it with somebody or find one of those little free libraries around town at people's houses and stuff, stick it in there, leave it for somebody else. Don't, don't have that worry in you and that guilt inside of you that, hey, if I don't finish this book, uh, you know, I'm just not a good person. Don't worry about that. Pick up another book. So that's my dare for everybody. Go out there, buy some books, try them out. If you don't like them, go find a new book. So <laughs> I think we're at that point of the show here uh, where we've ran out of stuff to talk about. But don't worry, there's always another episode coming around the corner. So I want to thank you, our audience, for tuning in. And if you have something to say or you have some topics you'd like us to discuss on the show, please email us at wbcsfa at gmail.com. You can find this and all What's Brewing CISFA podcasts on Google Podcasts. Your Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the TuneIn app on your Amazon Echo by using Alexa. What's Brewing CISFA is a production of Studio 1051, a creative collaboration of me and Dana Yarbrough. This has been episode number 122, recorded Friday, September 10th, 2021. And hey, everybody, have a great weekend.